When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to episode four of the Penscast. This is Lucas Wester here with you. At Lucas Wester on Instagram and Twitter. The podcast is handles are at pens underscore cast both instagram and twitter and we have a lot to talk about here on this monday afternoon april 10th 2023 we are at game 80 played so we're through 80 we have two remaining for both the penguins and their competitors in the wild card the florida panthers and the new york islanders only problem they're down a point Penguins sit at 90 points in 80 games played. Meanwhile, the Florida Panthers and the New York Islanders sit at 91. And we have uh, quite the little run here to go through in the final few days of the regular season. And Penguin fans are hopelessly optimistic that they're going to be able to pull through here at the end of the regular season and hopefully sneak into the playoff spot and into a position where they can possibly compete. It's going to be difficult, especially if they get wildcard two, as we've talked about numerous times against the Boston Bruins. But there are a plethora of scenarios that can go down here in just the final few days of the regular season. The Penguins could possibly end up playing Boston. They could end up playing Carolina. They could end up playing New Jersey. They could end up playing uh, the Sewickley Golf Club or whatever the go-to golf uh, courses for Penguins players. I don't even know if Swickley Golf Club is a thing. I'm assuming it is, knowing the demographics out there. But um, nonetheless, the point is Penguins have many different paths that could happen here going into the final leg of the regular season. This past week, they got on a roll in their last two games where they broke the streak of, I believe, nine or eight or nine games where they would win one, lose one, win one, lose one. They finally were able to put together two consecutive wins at the time they needed it the most, where if they didn't win those games, they would be much further out of the playoff picture. But instead, there's still hope. They're still right in the mix, as are the Buffalo Sabres, which not many people are talking about. They have two games in hand on the other two teams and say they win those two. They're just one point back of Pittsburgh, two points back of New York. So things have to go right for them to make it. A lot of things need to go right for them to make it. Fewer things need to go right for the Penguins to make it, but they still don't control their own destiny due to the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to take a look here at the path going forward, but first I want to talk about the games that were played this past week. Uh, We 
I did a whole episode, post game episode of the Minnesota Wild game. I don't want to talk too much about that one, but it was a good one. The Penguins did win that one four to one. Jari looked sharp. I think he didn't have uh, too much coming at him. Uh, I think they the Penguins did a pretty good job at keeping the shots you know further back, further away from Tristan Jari. He almost was able to get that shut out there, but Marcus Johansson gets one just seven minutes into the third period. So Jari had the shutout going there for a while. And that was, like I said, the start of the back-to-back wins for the Penguins. They played Saturday afternoon in Detroit against the Red Wings, a team that just two weeks ago they got pounded to in Detroit as well. It was 7-4, I believe. It was the David Perron hat-trick game. This game went a little different. Penguins, and uh, they leave Detroit with a 5-1 victory when they needed it the most. That win proved more important than ever after the later games were played, as all 32 teams actually played on Saturday for the first time ever since 32 teams have been you know, instituted. But the Islanders won their game. The Panthers won their game. Panthers won their game in, in a lot, with a last-minute goal from Matthew Kachuk, too. So there was hope there that possibly they wouldn't win that one. Unfortunately, they do. So now the Penguins still sit one game one point back of the playoffs without the tiebreaker the Panthers and the Islanders hold the tiebreaker over them Uh, both teams uh, have the tiebreaker over the Penguins but let's get more in depth into that Saturday game since I didn't do a a post-game recap about that one I would like to discuss it more here at this little outlet that I use to air my grievances about the Pittsburgh Penguins but in this game, there weren't many grievances, actually. I think it was a really well-rounded game for the Penguins. They, You could tell there was desperation there, that they really needed this victory, and they played like it, unlike the New Jersey game when they had desperation, or there should have been desperation, but there wasn't any. This game, the Penguins came out firing early on. I think up and down the roster, I think everyone performed very well. Jari had a good game. We'll get more into that in a second, but I want to go through these goals here first. Starting... About halfway through the first period, Alex Nylander gets his first as a Pittsburgh Penguin. I think since they called him up about a month ago, you know, he's been up and down between Wilkes-Barre and the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's performed very well. He hasn't been rewarded for it necessarily on the stat sheet. He has a few assists, I know, but he really earned this goal. He's been playing really well, I think, when he's able to get an opportunity. He was on the third line out with... Uh, Granlin and Carter um, for this goal at least and he gets his first it was a good setup pass by Granlin who was over in the corner and sees uh, Nylander uh, with uh, some open space to skate through the slot almost and Nylander does a quick little uh, shimmy to get Simon Edvinson the uh, Detroit defender uh, you know kind of away from him and on his knees and he's able to just rip it past Billy Huso for his first of the season and first as a penguin Mikhail Granlund and Jeff Carter get assists on that one. And then at the end of the first period, right as time was expiring, just three seconds left, the uh, I forget what Detroit defender it was, but uh, one of them that gave it over uh, had a giveaway in the in the Penguins' offensive zone. Uh, Jake Gensel kind of stick-tapped him or kind of just poked it away into, a, into an area where Sidney Crosby was sitting and waiting, took the puck, and almost in one motion backhanded it over Vili Huso's glove. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. It's the most violent, most accurate, most calculated backhand in hockey. And he's not going to miss those. He gets his 32nd of the season. It was unassisted. 
and the Penguins go into the second period with a 2 to nothing lead. More Crosby to come in the second period, just under halfway through the second. Crosby sets up Danton Heinen uh, for a goal. Crosby was streaking in another great backhand shot by Crosby. This one, Huso gets a piece of, but it has a uh, pop fly rebound available for Danton Heinen where he kind of just bats it in. You know, it it makes sense because opening day just passed, so he's in his baseball era. And Danton Heinen gets his seventh of the season. This one was assisted, like I said, by Crosby. Crosby's 58th assist. And that put him at 1,499 points on his career. We'll talk more about that in a second. Then later in the period, actually just about 42 seconds after the Heinen goal, it was a bad turnover in the offensive zone by Chris Letang. And it, it, it turns into a three-on-one for the Red Wings. And they do a little passing, a little tic-tac-toe action where the Penguins have enough time to get back. But it's such good passing and such a... Uh, collapse by Dumoulin and Latang uh, retreating back where Jari's just left out to dry. It was a great play by Andrew Kopp, Suter, and Raymond, and they get on the board, ending any hopes of a, another possible Jari shutout just ha- just before the halfway point in the game. It is to 3-1, and then I want to talk more about those guys that were on that uh, Red Wings goal really quick. Uh, Suter is the they played three games against the Penguins this season, did the Red Wings, but Suter has three points in those three games. I don't know why, but I had a feeling whenever I saw him score that goal that he was he just put up monster numbers against the Penguins for some reason uh, whenever he plays them. But it's not too bad. It's still a point of game this year. I don't have his, his historical stats. I know he played with uh, Chicago for a bit there. But um, I, I, had a, I had a gut feeling once I saw his name again. I was like, I feel like... I've been hearing his name a lot when he plays the Penguins, and kinda, but also not too bad. The next guy is a certified Penguin killer, and that's Andrew Kopp. Since his trade uh, from Winnipeg to the New York Rangers at last year's trade deadline, he has points in every regular season game against the Penguins. He has two goals, five assists, and seven points in six games played. And it's also worth noting, you may remember... But the New York Rangers, his former team, played the Penguins in the first round last season. And that name might sound familiar, Andrew Kopp, because he was unbelievable for the Rangers in that series. He had four goals, three assists, seven points in all in, in seven games. So he has a point a game there. And I believe in game one and two, he had the first goal. He is an he is a it's fair to say now, he is a certified penguin killer, Andrew Kopp. And I remember watching that series and didn't know a ton about him going into it because he's been a Winnipeg Jet for all of his career up until he got traded to the Rangers. And I knew a little bit about his game. I knew he was kind of like a second or third line center, but I didn't see as much offensive prowess in his game from Winnipeg because I don't watch a ton of Winnipeg games until he came to the Eastern Conference. And he really showed up for the Rangers in that entire playoff run but it really got things going against the Penguins. A point a game, four goals in the seven games. And like I said, I think he had the first goal in games one and two. Just an unbelievable player. He got a he he got a, a really good contract for himself this past offseason after the great performance he had in the playoffs with the Rangers. He went and signed a long-term deal with Detroit. 
He's going to be there a while. I think he's going to be a great player for them once they're able to get competitive. And I, I just really like his game. And I really hope that years down the line, the Penguins don't have to play Detroit in too many more important games, too many playoff series or anything, because that's a guy that has the Penguins number. I know the Penguins almost beat the Rangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for goaltending, the Penguins would have won that series in five. Yeah, okay, I'm on board with that. But Andrew Kopp's really, really good. And that's just something to keep up, keep keep an eye on in uh, the coming years as the Penguins face the Red Wings more. As the Red Wings are on a team, are, in, uh, are on a path that's up and coming. And the Penguins probably hit their peak and are heading down a little bit. We've seen that this year. But... That's what what I wanted to say about that. Suter, great player on that. Uh, Raymond's up and coming. Lucas Raymond. I don't want. I, what what else is there to say about Lucas Raymond? You know he's going to be a great player in this league. But I think Andrew Kopp, low key, he got the primary assist on that. He was a big part of that tic tac toe play like, to get Suter that goal. But he's a great player and he's going to be fantastic for them moving forward. A great veteran presence on a younger team. The next goal came at the three oh one mark into the third period. And it was a power play goal by Sidney Crosby. It was his 33rd of the season. It was assisted by Chris Letang and Jake Gensel. Letang's 28th assist, Gensel's 37th assist. But when we're speaking about numbers with that goal, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that that was Sidney Crosby's 1500th point in his NHL career. Only the 15th player to reach that mark in NHL history. And it's, it's a remarkable feat especially considering all the time that he missed in his uh, career, especially in the early 2010s, whenever he was really hitting his prime, he those years would have been his version of uh, McDavid, what McDavid is doing now and how McDavid's hitting like 150, whatever. That season, the Winter Classic season and subsequent year, Crosby was on pace to have some record-setting years. Not maybe not necessarily breaking you know any single season records, but he could have broken some Penguin single season records possibly, and that's still saying a lot given Mario Lemieux. But that was still even in an era where points were down, he could have had a hundred and twenty, a hundred and thirty point season that year. He was on pace, and it was still at, almost at the halfway point of the season, but to no avail. Um, I just want to take a minute. I just wanted to take a second to appreciate what Sidney Crosby's done in his career. And I don't want it, the story necessarily to be, a, you know, what could have been because look at what he is. He's still a fantastic player with fantastic numbers and is going to go down as one of the best players to ever play the game and maybe be a part of the Mount Rushmore of hockey. But there's still a part of me that wishes Maybe David Steckle didn't hit didn't hit his head in the Winter Classic. Maybe Victor Hedman didn't aggravate it even more the following game. You know, maybe Brooks Orpik doesn't take that slap shot that breaks Crosby's jaw. You know, that's just my point. Is that there's so many freak incidents that happened that he could probably be at 1700 right now. No joke. But 1500 is still an incredible feat for the captain and. Just a round of applause to him because that's that's an incredible accomplishment for your captain, number 87, Sidney Crosby. But more importantly, as we're going down the home stretch here and we need to win these games, that gave the Penguins a 4-1 lead. That gave them a good cushion going into the last uh, you know, final minutes of the third period. 
And then with seven minutes left in the third, Evgeny Malkin uh, gets a takeaway from Joe Valeno, the young forward of the Detroit Red Wings, which he really, Malkin's really good at those stick lift takeaways in the offensive zone. And he's just able to stick lift it, take it away, turn it around and get free and set up a goal. And this one was a little more crowded than goals we've seen from him doing that same play in the past. But he uh, passes it over to Zucker. Zucker takes a hard shot at it. And it just rebound is, you know, somewhere. No one can find it. Malkin buries it, gets his 26th goal of the season. And Jason Zucker gets his 21st assist of the season. And there was a stat I had here somewhere. With that assist, well, that, I don't think that was his uh, 80th necessarily. But that did give Malkin... 82 points on the season so he's guaranteed point per game and he's played he's have you know barring any injury in the last two games here he will have played a full season which i don't have the number for that in front of me but it has to be one of the first times he's played a full season in a while that's another player who going around penguins twitter everyone was talking about how if you look at his stats uh, over the past few seasons he's been robbed of uh or we've been robbed more more than anything of uh Evgeny Malkin hockey. He's been so injured over the past few seasons. But this was the first season since 2017-2018 where both Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby hit 80 points. And yeah, I have it up here. I do want to go over his games played. Just to give you an idea of how much time we've lost of Evgeny Malkin and how he sits right now at 12-28 points in uh, 1,061 games. He could be way above that. He himself could be around, honestly, like 1,400 right now, had it not been for so many injuries and so much time lost. We're going to starting this year, we're going to go backwards and go over his games played for the last few years because it's kind of astonishing. Still two games left to be played this year, but at the moment he sits at 80. Last year, 41 games played. The previous year, 33. Granted, that was another shortened year. Um, but still, he missed some time for injuries the year before, 1920. Another shortened year, had 55 games played. I think that's how many the Penguins played at that point. Or he may have missed a game or two here, but he, I don't think he missed that many of that year. The year before, 68 games played. That was a full season. The year before, 78. That was that obviously was a full season, but that was his best season in recent memory, 98 points that year. Then going back another year, 62, and 57, 69, 60, 31. The 31, I believe, was a lockout shortened year. I believe that was 2012, 2013. So he still missed some time, but he didn't get the his entire quote-unquote full season, of which I believe it was around 40 games um, all teams played that year. But if you're getting an idea, he misses 20 to 30 games even during full seasons. So... Those are that adds up to at least another season or two of production you could have got from him, especially during his prime. You 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 could add another hundred hundred and fifty minimum points there. That's another guy that we've just been robbed of seeing fully healthy for so much time, but we're still spoiled. I don't want to sound ungrateful here. The guy has a heart trophy. He finished second in heart voting twice, and he got the heart during the 11-12 season. And he didn't even play a full season that year either. He missed seven games and still ended with 50 goals, 59 assists, 109 points. Evgeny Malkin's ridiculous. He's a great player. And this year, I think, shut a lot of people up because he 
had had a, some, a few off season, a few bad seasons, not off season. He had a few bad seasons in years past. Still was hovering around point per game, but his, he was able to stay healthy this year, play out of nearly a full season, depending on what happens here. I don't want to jinx the guy, but he's been he's been great this year. And a lot of people this off season were like, we shouldn't resign him, yada yada yada. He's still at his salary cap hit a great value at a second line center. Fantastic value. Of course, there's three more years after this and he's getting older. He's going to be 37 next season. Maybe in a few years that deal doesn't look as good. But right now, there's no reason to complain about Evgeny Malkin's contract or play for this this season and I would even didn't say next season. When he hits 38, 39, maybe it'll be a problem. But at that point, the Penguins probably won't be very well, very good. Excuse me. So we'll see about that. I was just a side tangent. A lot of uh, of Guinea Malkin appreciation here. Now I want to take a look at uh, something that happened today that was announced on the Penguins social media is the Penguins team awards were announced, including the Masters, the Jesus Christ, the Bill Masterton Trophy nomination. Every team gets a nominee. And then one winner is chosen at the NHL Awards. And no surprise, the Bill Masterton nominee for the Penguins is Chris Letang. The, for those of you who don't know, the prompt of the award is basically, you know, a person who's come over, the, has gone through the most adversity and has, you know, still performed at a high level. And Chris Letang is the epitome of that. He had his second stroke of his career or his life, depending on how you look at it. Uh, this season came back about a month later he lost his father came back and played and he's been performing at a pretty good level and he's played like nearly a half hour over the last month as half of the defensive core has been injured he stepped up and played huge minutes for the penguins and has kept helped keep them in the playoff chase if it wasn't for him i don't think the penguins would be in a playoff chase say he got injured and missed as much time as Yan Ruda has this past season. I'm just saying, Penguins probably are in a much different position. They're probably in the Bedard sweepstakes. Not a point out of the playoff spot. A playoff spot with two games remaining. Just saying. Just want to put that out there. The other team awards, um, Pierre-Olivier Joseph gets Rookie of the Year. Pretty easy choice. I'm not even sure who all qualifies on this team as a rookie. I don't think Ryan Paling is a rookie anymore. Drew O'Connor might be i don't know exactly what the qualifications are for a rookie of the year but either way poj uh stepped up i I don't i haven't loved his play but he has you know performed minutes at least for the penguins whenever they've been down you know three nhl defensemen like i said with Tang, he stepped up in a big role he's still raw a raw talent i think but i still like him a lot and i think he has room to grow so congratulations to him on that None other than number 87, Sidney Crosby, gets team MVP. And then the Players Player Award, which I believe is more of a character award than anything. It's like a heart and soul table award, to my understanding. Uh, That was a three-way tie. Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Jason Zucker tie, and they win that award collectively. And obviously, Crosby makes sense. Letang makes sense. Zucker... uh, I think that one makes sense, but I don't, I, th- I don't know how many people would agree with it. Zucker is the heart and soul of the room. And one, and I think I talked about this whenever the JT Miller trade rumor 
got more unraveled recently, where Zucker was going to be moved away. Zucker was the only guy who was performing at that time in a stretch where the Penguins were doing terrible, could not finish, could not score any goals. And the Penguins wanted to give him up plus two first rounders to get JT Miller in the room, who is no a noted bad locker room guy. This team, this roster loves Jason Zucker. And I don't know what he's going to command in the offseason. His contract is up. He's a UFA. He's coming off of a, I don't know how many years it was, but a $5.5 million average annual salary. Maybe it's around there because for a while people thought he was getting overpaid. He wasn't performing well. He was injury prone, yada, yada. But now this year he showed up. Maybe he gets an identical contract. Maybe he gets a raise. I don't know. Jake Gensel's getting $6 million. Can you really ask for more than Jake Gensel? I don't know. Nonetheless, I think the Penguins, given just this award, it shows you how much he means to the other players in that room. I think the Penguins need to do whatever they can to bring him back. And I know I've talked about Jari extensively on this one. He's also a pending UFA. You have to prioritize Jason Zucker over Tristan Jari, in my opinion. I think Jason Zucker is that important to this team. Besides the point, I want to look over some playoff scenarios. I know I teased that earlier, and I'd like to take a look here. It's simple. I know the numbers were really complicated going uh, uh, going back a little bit, but it's a lot more simple now. Things are pretty clear of what needs to happen. Penguins cannot tie the Florida Panthers or the New York Islanders in points. They need to be better than one of them or both. If they can be better than both, then they get the first wild card. But they just need those teams to lose or one of them to lose, and the Penguins need to win out. Luckily for the Penguins, they have the easiest schedule remaining. They play the Chicago Blackhawks, who are in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, on Tuesday at home, their final home game. Fan appreciation night is going to be a fun one down at the arena. Then on Thursday, their final regular season game of the season is at Columbus. Columbus is another team that's in the Bedard sweepstakes. Both of those teams, I think, are bottom three. Let me take a look here at the standings. Bottom two. Bottom two. They are the two worst teams in the NHL. They have identical uh, points in games played. They've played 79 games, and they both have 56 points. Columbus is technically last through the tiebreaker, and then Chicago. So there's no excuse to lose either of those games. Granted, I think Columbus is going to play tough. I think they're going to make it difficult on the Penguins because as little as the Penguins fans think about Columbus, I think the Columbus thinks about Penguin fans a lot in in the Penguins team. Uh, we are the, the Penguins are the Blue Jackets' biggest rival, whereas you look from the Penguins' perspective, they have at least four teams that I think uh, they hate more than the Blue Jackets. But the Blue Jackets do not like the Penguins, and they would love to play spoiler. So you cannot sleep through that game. You can't sleep through either of those games. I think Chicago's roster sucks. I saw um, on the preview of the matchup on the NHL app, I think their top goal scorer this year is Taylor Radish. And their top point, uh, top assist guy is Seth Jones. And I think the most points on their team is like 30. Very bad team. And then I think uh, Peter Mrazek is expected to be in goal with this, for this game. And he's not been great either. So you can't sleep through either of those games, but they, you need to win those games. Plain and simple. On the Florida side of things... They have two games remaining as well, obviously, and one of their games tonight is against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Unfortunately for Penguins fans, Toronto is clinched in their spot. They're not going up, they're not going down, they will finish second in the, in the Atlantic, 
no matter what. They will face the Tampa Bay Lightning no matter what. That series is already clinched mathematically. There's nothing that's going to change that. That is what it is. So there's a good chance Toronto plays some backups or plays like some bottom six guys up in the lineup more and kind of coasts through this game. It's an away game. They, they don't need to impress their fans or anything. I could, as much as I would love the Maple Leafs to beat the Panthers, the Panthers can win this game. They can definitely win this game. And I go in with uh, pessimism because I think that Toronto is going to sleep through this game a little bit. They have nothing to play for and they're going to coast and the Panthers could win this game very easily. Then on Thursday, they play the Carolina Hurricanes, and that's where things get interesting. Because as we sit right now, the Hurricanes are first in the Metro. They have 79 games played, one more than the team in second place, the New Jersey Devils, and they have one more point than the New Jersey Devils. They have 109, the the Devils have 108. If Carolina gets into a position where they can clinch the Metro beforehand, the number one seed in the Metro division, I could see them doing that. I could see them doing the same thing that Toronto is going to might do is resting guys, play some AHLers, call up some guys, give them a rest. If you can, it's still difficult because the house of how tight these teams are to the salary cap. So maybe at a necessity, you have to play your top guys. I'm not sure exactly with, uh, you know, every team's salary cap situation. I know Toronto's tight against it, very tight against it. They had to play an amateur, um, university of Toronto goaltender as their backup. The other, uh, I think it was last night or maybe the night before. I don't remember. But if Carolina could be in a position by the time they play the Panthers where they have it all clinched up for the sake of it, I have the Carolina Hurricanes schedule up in front of me as well. Tonight, uh, Monday night, they play the Ottawa Senators, which is a game they could win. They should win. They were in the wild card race for a while. I know we've talked about that before, but they've fallen out of it recently. Then on Tuesday night, they play at home against the Detroit Red Wings. Another game the Carolina should win. And if they win both of those two, by that point, they have nothing to play for on Thursday. So if you're a Penguin fan, tonight, you have certain teams you need to cheer for. But in particular here, you uh, a game that you don't think about that matters much kind of does. And that's going to be the Ottawa-Carolina game in Ottawa, Ontario, you kind of want Ottawa to win that game because at that point, Carolina is going to be desperate going into the Florida game at the, the, their season finale. That's kind of where things are with that one. So yeah, Carolina plays Ottawa tonight in Ottawa. Tuesday, they played the Red Wings at home. They finished the season at Florida. You want them to need to win that Florida game so they start everybody. They're playing at their best. They're a really good team. But you're kind of cheering for them to lose and make that number one spot in the Metro tighter moving forward. Now, the Islanders side of things, tonight they play at Washington against the Capitals. And then Wednesday they play at home in their season finale versus Montreal. Tonight, the Penguins fans are going to need to be Washington Capital fans, Toronto Maple Leaf fans, and Ottawa Senators fans. So I hope you have um, the three hats in front of you like you're going to get drafted to the NHL tonight because you're going to be wearing multiple hats tonight, Penguin fans. You need to cheer for those teams to win in order to 
make the Penguins' uh, odds a little better. And just if Florida uh, beats Toronto, if the Islanders beat Washington, if uh, Carolina beats Ottawa tonight, doesn't mean it's over. It just makes it that much harder. And granted, too, these teams really, sh- uh, the Toronto, Washington, Ottawa, really would be nice if you guys could get it done in regulation, too. Don't give them a point. Please don't give them a point. Because if you get them a point, there will be two up on the Penguins and a win is moot for the Penguins at that point. They need to be ahead of them in points. They cannot be tied. I can't state this enough. Their regulation wins are 31, where the Islanders have 35, the Panthers have 36. So you need to finish these games in regulation. Maple Leafs, Capitals, and Senators, please, for the love of God. And then Wednesday night, we'll be cheering for the Montreal Canadiens um, against the New York Islanders. Tuesday night, we'll be cheering for, obviously, the Penguins over the Blackhawks. We'll be cheering for the Red Wings over the Hurricanes because that means the Hurricanes game against Florida is more meaningful. And Thursday, we'll be cheering for the Hurricanes over the Panthers. That's going to be a huge game. Obviously, the Penguins over the Blue Jackets. And that's it. That's the season. The season rides on those games. So in the words of uh, the former marketing campaign for the Penguins, buckle up, baby, because it is going to be tight. It's going to be really tight. Moving to the end here. A couple other things I want to mention before I wrap things up here. Uh, We just passed the 32-minute mark, so I don't want to keep you too long because then it starts to get boring. But this was the first season that two players have uh, passed the 60-goal mark or hit the 60-goal mark, rather, because David Pasternak is at 60 right now, um, since 1995-96. And in case you are wondering, that year, Lemieux and Yager, as teammates on the Penguins, scored... Of course, I have to make it about the Penguins. It's the Pens cast, for God's sakes. But, uh, yeah, that goes to show you how uh, crazy that era of Penguins hockey was, is that it's they had uh, two players get 60 goals, in a season when no one else in the league did. It was just them. Think about playing against that. That had to be so annoying. But we're spoiled. You really are. One more thing I want to talk about. I know we talked about the Penguins uh, leaders, Crosby and Malkin, both getting point per game seasons this year, both hitting 80 points too as well, which is the first time since 1718. Uh, That's crazy. It goes to show you how misconstructed i don't know if that's the right word probably isn't sorry english majors but how badly built the rest of the team was if for uh us to be in this position right now you have the two best players on the team two of the best players in the world performing at good to great levels and you still are in this position they have six players in their top six with 20 goals or more. And they're still in the hunt for a playoff spot. That's that's all I have to say about that. It just that's just a subtle subtweet to Ron Hextall. Sorry. Um one more thing I wanted to talk about before I go. I think it was the first episode I talked about goalie options for the Penguins moving forward. And the big one I have been in on all year thinking about the future is Jeremy Swayman. Jeremy Swayman has played backup to uh, Linus Allmark this season. 
He is a 24-year-old. He has played 35 games this year, whereas Allmark has played 48. So Allmark has gotten the fair share of starts in uh, in Boston. Also worth mentioning, this I think it was yesterday, Boston broke the all-time win record. Can't believe I didn't even mention that. That's crazy. That's wild. But I'm talking about Swayman because he's in pending RFA. I think he is going to want money. And I don't think Boston's going to give it because they already have money invested in Olmark. Granted, Olmark's contract looks really good for how well he's played this season. So maybe you can't afford to pay the duo, pay, pay you know, have a $5 million 1A and a $5 million 1B. I don't know. But Tristan Jari this year, he's been injured. I know he hasn't had the best of seasons. He's at a 9-10 save percentage this, this year. He has played 45 games, has a nine, sorry, yeah, nine ten save percentage and a two eighty nine goals against. He's supposed to be the Penguins' starter. Jeremy Swayman has twenty three wins as the backup. He is one win back of Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari, the starter for a possible playoff team. Jeremy Swayman, the backup for the best team in the league. Now, wins isn't the best stat or indicator of goalies. In their performance. I understand that. Look a little deeper. He's a 222 goals against average. Again, he's been playing behind the Bruins. So yeah, the Bruins are good. Obviously, that's a team stat again. Save percentage, 921. Fantastic compared to Tristan Jari's 910. That's a lot more saves you're getting with Jeremy Swayman. But again, as time progresses, the stat, there's more nuance to it. So you need to look beyond that. A stat I like which has gotten a lot of steam, obviously, uh, recently, as analytics analytics has become more a lot more uh, accessible to the every to, to the to the everyday person, is goal saved above expected. Now, there's many different tracks of this, but the one that's free and easy to use is MoneyPuck, uh, MoneyPuck.com. Very good website. A lot of good information there. Now, uh, first place in goal saved above expected for the this season is UC Soros. He's having a great season. He's getting the majority of the starts in Nashville, and they're still kind of in it, but I don't think that they're going to end up making the playoffs, uh, unfortunately. But he has had an incredible season this year. He's becoming low-key a top-five goaltender in this league, and not many people are talking about it. It's just because he's playing behind such a bad team. You look at second place is Boston's starter. That's Alanis Olmark. He's a 42.6 goal saved above expected. And then right behind him in third is Ilya Sorokin, who has also played 60 games himself, a uh, 40.5 goal saved above expected. Then there's a big drop-off. 40 and over at this point in the season is crazy. It's incredible. You've been winning games for your team single-handedly. There's a big drop-off down to 26.7 for fourth place. That's Connor Hellebuck, who again a great season this year he might end up being one of the Vesna finalists I don't think he will but there's a chance uh, he's played 62 games and then he has that 26.7 goal saved above expected below him is Igor Shosturkin below him is Andrew it's not Andrew Andre Vasilevsky and then in seventh place among all NHL goaltenders is the other Bruins goaltender Jeremy Swayman with 24 goals saved above expected and 35 games played in 35 games played. 
That's insanity. And then right below him is former Penguin draft pick. This one's going to hurt. Philip Gustafson in 37 games played has 23.4 goals saved above expected. Now, I'm not going to do the, like, you know, if he played more games at that pace, what would it be? Yada, yada. It's He'd be one of the top goalies in the NHL if he played a full season at that pace. I don't know if he'd be first, but he'd be close. He'd be top two, top three. He'd be in that 40 conversation had he played majority of the starts at that pace. To find a Penguin goalie on this list, you have to scroll a bit. And honestly, your fingers start to hurt. You see a lot of former Penguin goalies uh, as you scroll. Like I said, Philip Gustafson's there. You scroll down a little further. You see Flurry. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Ah, 34. 34th place, excuse me. Not Tristan Jari. It's Casey DeSmith at 2.9 goals saved above expected. And then you look at the te- the uh, goalies above him. The goalies above him collectively, the top three goalies right above him have collectively played six games. At 33rd uh, place is Dylan Ferguson, who shut out the Penguins that or got you know one, allowed one goal in that Penguin game. He's played two games for the Ottawa Senators. Above him, he says three goals saved above expected. 32nd place is Jet Greaves, who played one game for the Columbus Blue Jackets and has three goals saved above expected. Then above him is someone, a name I've never seen in my life, Kevin... Mandolis, Mandolis, uh, on the Ottawa Senators has three games played and has three goals saved above expected. So having a 2.9 goal saved above expected with 38 games played doesn't say much. It means you're average. You're a little above average. You're adequate as a, as a goaltender. The goalies around him are the guys I just mentioned. Laurent Brassois, Joseph Wool, Keith Kincaid, Aaron Dell, Mackenzie Blackwood, Devin Levi has a two goal saved above expected and has only played four games. Yikes. So I'm going to scroll a little more to see the next Penguin goalie. Ah, at 45th place, this has to be Tristan Jari, right? No. Dustin Tokarski in four games played has a 1.2 goal saved above expected. So somewhere here has to be uh, Tristan Jari, right? Well, 47th place, there's Matt Murray, another former Penguin. Nice to see you. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep scrolling here. Oh, a couple e-bugs um, have a higher goal saved above, above expected than Tristan Chari. Matthew Berlin, uh, who was the e-bug for the Oilers uh, earlier this season. Uh, Jet Anderson, uh, also is, uh, in a 58th place. Both of those guys have zero, but are still above uh, Jari. We're going to keep scrolling. Got to be here somewhere, right? Ah, 72nd place is Tristan Jari with a negative 2.2 saved above expected in 45 games played. That rivals some other players who've played similar amounts of games. Jake Allen has played 42 games with Montreal and is a negative 1.9, so he's a little above Jari. Keep going. Magnus Helberg is around there, a negative 2.6 in 17 games played. David Riddick of Winnipeg Jets, negative 3 in 20 games played. Keep going a little bit. Ah, you see uh, Charlie Lindgren, the backup for the Capitals. He's played 30 games. He's a negative 3.9. Right below him, oh, uh, Jacob Markstrom, who's having a terrible year. Negative 4.5 goals saved above expected in 58 games. In summation, Jari's not had a good year. And if you can trade something, anything, I don't know what the offer sheet would look like for Jeremy Swayman, but if you can do anything to acquire that guy, that's your goalie for the next decade. 
I don't know. I'm going to look up and see if I can find the offer sheet compensation for if if they were to make that move, the Penguins. I don't know how possible it is, but I am going to be beating the Jeremy Swayman drum until my fist is blue. That's the goalie the Penguins need to go after this offseason. It's going to be hard. It's going to be expensive, and you're probably going to have to spend assets for it, but it's going to be so worth it. And I'm going to try to see here what kind of cap space the Bruins are going to be dealing with, if they'll be able to afford it. They have a lot of forwards coming off their books, but uh, David Pasternak's salary doubles. Zaka gets a 1.25 boost. They they probably lose Bertuzzi, Hathaway. Um, Bergeron might retire. Krejci might retire. Uh, on the defensive end, Orlov's probably gone. Clifton, I don't know. And then, yeah, they got to re-sign Swayman. You have Felina coming off the books, but he's an, uh, uh, he's on LTIR anyway, so what does that matter? I think they're going to be in a bind, and I think the Penguins could take advantage of it. I'm going to look here. And... Uh, NHL offer sheet compensation, offer sheet calculator. Let's take a peek. So let's say, okay, so what we were going for before was uh, around a $5 million mark. $5 million, if that's the case, you require a first and a third. Penguins don't have their, th- their own third, so they can't do that. But the range for that, Compensation is four point two million to six point three million. Maybe you can get them at four point one, and then prompt like do a low key promise. Oh yeah, we'll get you back uh, next contract. Do like a one year deal thing like they did with Kotkiniemi, and then you know re-sign him for a longer term deal once that year once that one year is over. Um, paying the two point one to four point two compensation is just one second round pick. Can you imagine? I don't think. I don't know if that's going to be enough. I don't know if Swayman's going to want more than that. I've I've been predicting he's going to be around the $5 million range. But if you can convince him to do 4.2, just below that, uh, below the first and third compensation, if you can get Jeremy Swayman for a second round pick, I know teams are so hesitant to do an offer sheet, but for the love of God, get creative, please. Please, Ron Francis. Not Ron Francis, Ron Hextall. The other badge, Ron GM. Ron Francis is okay. That was a low blow. I apologize. But if there's some way, some possible way you can get Jeremy Swayman for that second, you throw everything at the wall you can to make that happen. I don't think Hexall is going to be the one making that decision either way, but I will be beating this drum. I know the Penguin season isn't even done yet, but I'm making, I'm making that plea for please, for the love of God, <laughs> make that move. Whoever's in charge, maybe it's Kyle Dubas, maybe it's Brian Burke, I hope not, I don't know. Nonetheless, please make that a thing, because the other UFA options aren't great. And the only other option I see is them giving Jari a one-year deal, a prove-it deal at low money, or maybe around what he's making now, and saying, hey, you've been so injury-prone over the past few years, whatever, we'll give you one more shot at it. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the right move because then you put yourself in the same situation possibly that you did this year and that you did last year in the playoffs where you're left with Casey DeSmith running the show or if he gets injured, Louis Deming or I guess now Dustin Tokarski. I don't like that. That's not a fail safe. I don't like that. Either way, I'm going to cut it here. I'm going to call it a day. We're 46 minutes in. 
Thank you for listening to episode four of PensCast. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Pens underscore cast. You can follow me on both of those platforms at Lucas Wester. We are found on all of the big podcast app uh, apps, you know, whatever. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts too, I believe. I'm going to try to add some more, but uh, it's tedious, the process to adding, so uh, it's kind of difficult. Nonetheless, thank you for listening. Uh, please share, please follow us everywhere, and I will catch you guys on the flippity flip.